Well, it has been long anticipated, long discussed, talked up, but now it's here. The premiere episode of Ride the Light Theater, the podcast. That voice you just heard with that beautiful, I don't know, what would you call that, a, a proclamation? A proclamation, Proclamation. Indeed. That was Wayne Randazzo. I am Steve Gelbs, and we are so, so excited to finally be on the air with this project. That, yes. Again, I say it's been long awaited. We've been talking about this, Wayne, for how long? Since last offseason. Yeah. So this is, uh, not only is it a long time coming in that sense, but think about when we started doing Rain Delay Theater on social media last year during the season and how uh, we enjoyed doing it. People seemed to like it. So we continued on. With Instagram and Twitter, and uh, we did the Shiggy Challenge this well, year. You did. did I say that right? Yes, you did. Uh, you were a little <laughs> hesitant to do the Shiggy no, Challenge. No, I didn't really want to do that. I yeah. still look you back. You can go and find it on my Instagram account right now yeah. if you want to see. Wayne, you were a little stiff. You are a little stiff. Well, I only learned the dance five minutes before I know, but there are it. some people that you can just see have the natural... <laughs> You know, dance moves, and I, I think I think you could use a class or two this offseason. Sure, That's I, all I probably saying. could. Yeah. But the point is, is that we're we're doing this now because of our listeners, and because of the people that will be tuning right. into this that seem to enjoy our rain delay theaters during the season. And now this is an opportunity for them to listen to us uh, do a little bit more, expand a little bit, and, and talk to some of their favorite players. Yeah, it really did seem to resonate with so many people. And I always find it funny, and I know Wayne and I talk about this often, how you know the two of us, our main job is obviously not rain delay theater, right? <laughs> um, but most of the time when I interact with a fan, yeah, one of the first two things they say is, I love rain delay theater. Yeah. And so it seems like that for some reason has really stuck with people, and that's why we wanted to expand this somehow and give you guys something to listen to during rain delays, but also, of course, every other way you would listen to, to yeah, podcasts. It doesn't have to be, be raining. To tune, no, to it doesn't have this, to be, yeah. but it is a nice rainy day activity, I sure, would think. I think um, so. So let's, let's give everybody a little idea of what you are going to hear from us, really moving forward every week for the remainder of the season and beyond. Um, we did do a, a preface episode. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure anybody listened to that. Well, maybe no, a few. Maybe a few, did. but yeah. not everybody. I mean, right. I, listen, I'll be honest. If I was out there and I saw a, a pre-episode, yeah. I probably wouldn't pay <laughs> any mind to it. Um, so what this is going to be is essentially an, a, an attempt and an ability for you guys to learn about players, both, both past and present, people in the Mets sphere. Oh, the Mets sphere we're calling is it, back. The Mets That's sphere. great. Yeah. Uh, but learn their stories, right? Because you see these guys out there, and you kind of know surface level what they've been through, um, you know how they've gotten to to this incredible point in their lives where they're playing at the peak level that anybody could hope to play. Yeah. Uh, but there's usually great stories behind and, that. And I think this is an opportunity for them to stretch out and tell them because a lot of times interviews are short or they're uh, you know off the record in some case, or at least off the air, maybe giving you some idea of what they want to say, but this is them in their own words for an extended period of time telling you about them, and I hope that you guys enjoy it. And our first episode here is Brandon Nimmo, who's had a breakout season on the field, but I think off the field has captured the hearts of a lot of Mets fans. Yeah, and we, uh, like we said, an extended interview. So normally we want to do these things, you know, half hour, 40 minutes. That takes, I don't know, 25, 30 questions. Brandon, we only asked two questions. For the 40. <laughs> yeah, and 45 <laughs> minutes 45 later, minutes we were like, done. No, he, he was, I mean, he was incredible, and we can't wait for you guys to hear it in just a few minutes. Uh, before we do get to Brandon, though, there was we're taping this episode now on Wednesday, July 25th, and we're taping it immediately after a press conference in which the Mets uh, officially announced that Yoannis Cespedes will indeed have surgery to fix the calcifications in both heels. He will be out a minimum of eight to ten months, so a significant portion of next season minimum, again, will be impacted, will be impacted. And so I guess from that point of view, where do you think, Wayne, the Mets need to go? Do they need to pivot with what they're attempting to do at the trade deadline and beyond in the offseason as they set up the 2019 strategy? Well, we know that there's some insurance money involved. So if there is a, a point to replacing Yoannis Cespedes this offseason in some fashion, we know he's going to miss 
half the season. I mean, best case scenario, he's back on June 1st of next year. And we know that might just be starting rehab games. Odds are overwhelming. We won't see Yoenis Cespedes play until the second half of next season. So you've got to replace that bat. And if you have some insurance money that you're not going to pay Cespedes, well, all of a sudden you do have a little bit more that you can extend to your payroll. So I would imagine maybe they go a little bit harder in free agency now. Maybe they go after some more big ticket items instead of, of what the other plan might have been. Maybe that was the plan anyway, but I think now you have more of a motivation to do that. Uh, I don't I don't think DeGrom or Syndergaard, any of these guys, are going to get traded. I'd be very surprised. It, it doesn't sound like they're going to go down that path at all. It sounds like they're open to somebody knocking them over with a, with a potential deal, but unless that happens, I don't think it will. Yeah. They're going to keep those guys. Well, well, it certainly doesn't sound like they're going to make any pivot, any change in their thinking at the trade deadline, at least. And I know you just asked John Rico that question, and he made it pretty clear that the, the thinking wouldn't really change in the next few days. But I do wonder if it now alters your thinking for the offseason, because at least with DeGrom, now let me, let me start with a qualifier. There's every chance in the world that they could, they could decide they want to extend Jacob DeGrom, right? Mm -hmm. And so that can, can change the, the point of view a little bit. But the way you look at things right now is you have Jacob DeGrom under control for two more seasons. You have Yoannis Cespedes. 19 and 20. Right. Two more after this Two year. more after this year. Yoannis Cespedes, same deal, right? So if you're looking at that as the window, as that, the two-year window right there, then if you're not going to have Cespedes for a significant portion of that window, mm. maybe you more seriously consider moving a DeGrom in the offseason. Now, again, we have no indication that they are going to do that. but yeah. I If you think, move DeGrom, you're rebuilding. Right, but it, you, I think you have two options right now. You know, you go the rebuild route mm. that way and try and, you know, turn it around quickly with a lot of young talent that you can inevitably get for Jacob DeGrom. Or, like you said, Wayne, you know, maybe you take some of that money that you're going to save from Yoannis Cespedes and go hard reinvesting that in the offseason. Yeah, I don't see a rebuild coming yet. Maybe if next season is a, another one like these last two have been and you only have one more year of DeGrom and two more of Syndergaard, maybe then you decided at the trade deadline of 2019 we, get, we have to rebuild this thing. But sounds like and it feels like they're going to take one more shot at trying to be a c contender with this group. Now, the bottom line, without Cespedes in there for a significant amount of time, Brandon Nimmo becomes an even more critical piece for this team. And he's turned himself into uh, certainly someone that they're considering as a pillar for the future this season, something that wasn't necessarily expected. But, uh, but this is, again, now someone who the Mets really are going to have to rely on to count on, and so it makes, I think, this first interview really timely uh, because he has an incredible story. He really does have an incredible story, and I think as you listen to this interview, you'll get a sense for just how much he had to go through to put himself in a position to be that guy that Mets could rely on moving forward. I agree, and I think it's time now, Steve, to go to the tape. Wow. Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo. Brandon, we, uh, we really appreciate you doing this, man. Yeah. It means a lot that you would be the, the first, the inaugural guest. Lead-off hitter. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I've gotten used to being the lead-off hitter you know, now. You know, so. i got to be honest with you. We were originally, when we thought about doing this podcast, just going to have it be a classic audio podcast. Yeah. But when people heard that you were the first one, they got really upset. They wouldn't be able to then see uh, your smile. Yeah. So we <laughs> well, now, now we got it. Now, now we're able to, able to see me smile. In, in all I appreciate that. In all seriousness, though, you know, that has become such a thing with you and, and Gary Cohen deeming you the happiest player in baseball. <laughs> yeah. um, where does that temperament come from? Have you always been like that? Have you always had this sort of temperament? You know, I, I've, always, um, I've always enjoyed life uh, in, in general and, and always been, you know, easy to make laugh and um, people always, you know, make fun of my laugh and, and uh, you know, it's something that I've never held back on uh, when someone, you know, it's, it's first of all, it's easy. And then when somebody really makes me laugh, um, I, you know, I really, I really get into it. And people find it funny when I laugh because it is kind of like a hyena cackling. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think, I think even more so now, uh, my, my faith and my family have, have given me uh, kind of this perspective um, of every day, you know, that I'm really, really blessed to be in, in the position that I'm in. Um, 
I'm a Major League Baseball player um, playing for the New York Mets. Um, I never would have dreamed that I would have been in New York, you know, growing up in Wyoming. Um, you know, so, something to be able to uh, go from 500,000 people in the whole state to, you know, when I went to Brooklyn, there was 5 million just yeah. in Brooklyn. A little you different. Know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah a little it was different. totally different. And, and so I try and keep that perspective of every day that um, I'm just, I'm really blessed to be here, um, that, that I'm, I'm having so much fun um, just, just living out my dream. How many people really, you know, really get, dream about something since they were, you know, three, four years old? And then get to get to live it out. Um, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate in that aspect, and it's a perspective of you know just trying to realize that um, just putting on that jersey um, and going and spending time with people, um, you know, automatically. Like when I was a kid, I used to think like all oh, those guys are like superheroes, you know, like they they must be they must have all these amazing you know things about them, and it really you know I'm, I'm a normal guy. I try and work hard at my job, and um, I'm fortunate to play a game as my job. Um, but when you put that jersey on and you go spend that time with with kids or uh, fans, uh, parents, it really um, means a lot to them. And, and in that aspect, it you know is also fulfilling to me um, because I can have that kind of impact just by spending five minutes with a, with a kid. Um, by going when I'm on the field, just going and signing uh, a few things for for the fans, for the for the kids there, and, and really ignite that love for baseball that, that I got when I went to, you know, Coors when I was when I was young, um, and bullpen catcher tossed up that ball to me, and I kept it, you know, for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, it's it, and it ignited that love for baseball, and um, even more so. So for me to be able to have that impact on. Um, on kids to be able to play this game is my job. Um, I'm really, really blessed, and I think that that kind of overflows, and, and and also that perspective of, in from the faith standpoint of trying to enjoy every day rather than just get through it. I think I found in the past, um, I, I found that sometimes I would just try to get to the end of days rather than. Um, rather than enjoy them and, and try and, and enjoy the little things, um, you know, and, and so I think that change of perspective has, has started to, you know, see now it's what people see, the, the smile coming out. Um, you know, when I get a base hit, when I get on, you know, when I get a walk, when I get hit, uh, anytime I get on base, hit a home run, whatever it may be, help out the team, there's one, there's, there's satisfaction in doing your job well. And then, uh, secondly, just to be able to to do my job well and have it be baseball, um, you know, which is which there's a lot of hard work that goes on beforehand to get to those spots that most people don't see, mm -hmm. and kind of that okay that that hard work you know it, it paid off for that for that hit you know um, or for that walk you know whatever it may be, and uh, and that that satisfaction of putting in hard work and seeing seeing fruits come of it, fruits come of the labor. Um, it's it's satisfying and, and it and it brings it brings a smile to your face. So I think it's a two double edged sword. I think yeah. it's one, um, just the joy that comes out from helping the team, from trying to do my job well. And then two, the perspective of of being so so blessed to be in this position um, and to make such an impact with um, with such a little time. I think that's all the time we have. I was going to say, no, that was a, that, I don't think we even need anything else. That was a perfect answer right there. We Thanks, can release guys. that as a podcast. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, I'm just really, really blessed to be, to be here. I mean, I get but to just you know, tell my story, and it's, and it's fun. You and, know? And, and that's, I mean, part of the reason we wanted you to really kick off this podcast is because your story is such a good one, and this is genuine. Yeah. Mean, people, you know, sometimes I, I think people and don't know if it's an actor sure. or not, and this is right. as genuine as it gets. But on it top of to that, you know, you've had success this year. This has been a yeah. very good season right. for you, so it's allowed you to become this fan favorite. It's allowed you to, when you do walk into a, a room and there's a bunch of kids hoping to meet you, they're really excited yeah. to meet one of the best players right. on the team. That's a cool feeling. Do you feel like this season has really established you as a major league player? I, you know I think I think it's uh, it's definitely helped. Obviously, I can't uh, I can't make those decisions, and that's another thing I try and remind myself of is to 
control what I can control. Uh, that's the effort I go and put out every day and the work I go put in. Um, but it's definitely shown to, to me at least that, you know, sometimes when, when you're coming off the bench, you're like, you know, I'd like to see, you know, what I could do if I played every day. And, and we got to see a little glimpse of that last year, August, September. Uh, and then you come into this season and it's like, okay, you know, defined role. Um, but then it totally flipped and, you know, Cespedes got hurt, Ligaris got hurt. And now I go in there playing every day and, um, and have had success with that. And over, over an extended period of time, you know, it wasn't just, you know, a week or two, um, you know, a couple months there. And uh, it's been, and to be able to have that, um, I, it's made me feel like I belong, mm -hmm. you know. And so for me personally, I think, I think it's shown that, uh, yes, I, I am a Major League Baseball player and, and I can play on, a, on an everyday basis and, and contribute on an everyday um, basis. Um, but again, I, I, don't, I don't make those decisions and so um, I, I will continue to try. There's definitely things that I can still work on um, and, I, and I will continue to work on things until, until they tell me I can't anymore. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where I, this, this season definitely has had an impact on, on me um, and my outlook on even myself. Um, because you put a lot of hard work in during the off season and, and you work on things, but um, until you get into game situations, you never know if it'll quite translate um, or you know w what might come of it. So um, it's definitely it's definitely opened up my eyes even you know um, to you know being able to. I think one thing I've really seen this year is being able to drive the ball better, um, and that was one thing that they told me this off season was they said, hey, you hit the ball hard enough consistently enough that if you just elevated it a little bit, you, you, could, you could be this kind of guy. You know, you could hit maybe 20, 20 or whatever. And I was like, okay, you know, that sounds nice. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I appreciate the information. I'll do the best I can with that information and, and try and, and adjust. But um, then, I, then I get in into the season and, you know, in a couple months have driven the ball well. How do you and make that adjustment? I mean, when you talk about you're working you're, on it, is yeah, it? Yeah, it, it's it been, there's been a couple things. It's been, it's been with, with my legs, um, you know, pr prior, um, I, I didn't use my legs as much in the swing. Uh, I was pretty talented with just hand-eye coordination and, and used that a, a lot. Um, and when K-Long came in in six, um, they noticed that there was some untapped potential there. And so... Um, most people think, might think it, that you elevate with like with your angle because people talk about launch angle, right. right? So they might think that you elevate with with your body angle, but you don't. You actually elevate the ball with your legs, and um, and so that's where people can go wrong, actually. And I and I did for for probably a year um, of you know trying to elevate that ball with with my body angle rather than with with my legs um, and then also to realize there's been a few wise people that have told me that home runs are not hit they are thrown and so it's one of those things that uh, you have to you have to hone in on the right pitches uh -huh. and that was one thing that I've been that I've been doing well consistently throughout my career uh, and so for me it was just trying to take that same approach into a little bit different swing as in using my legs just a little bit more and that takes some time with um, kind of getting to the point where you don't think about it anymore when you it just it, you just do it because when we get up to the plate it's just reactions at that point really you go in with a plan but just reactions and so for your body to just go into that muscle memory mode um, of using your legs and driving that ball and then you know just relying on my strike zone um, to try and pick out the the best pitches to drive but um, yeah th that's that's really the biggest thing um, and, and it's different for everybody that's sure. the other thing swings are not you know they're not there there's certain things that that everybody does well but there's certain things that other people can get away with that these people can't and vice versa um, so, you know, you have to kind of find what works for you as well. It's interesting that you say, though, that phrase, home runs aren't hit, they're thrown. Yeah. Because it makes a lot of sense. And for you, it probably was, I don't want to say an easy adjustment, but easier than most because of yeah. your strike zone discipline. Right. And it's something that, I, I mean, it was such a key as to why the Mets loved you and drafted you in 2011 in the first round. But... It's always been fascinating to me 
to learn about how you went about honing that strike zone and learning that strike zone. And I know for you, a lot of it dates all the way back to just working with your dad playing yeah. catch in Wyoming. Yeah. What types of things did you guys do and did he do even at an early age with you, to, to hone that pitch recognition and that strike zone? You know, when I was really young, pitch recognition uh, w was big, so we would throw, um, you know, we would throw, because I, I, when you grow up, you're a pitcher and, and, a, and a position player, so um, we would work on throwing different pitches, and then my dad would throw those pitches, you know, all these different pitches back to me, and he would make me, when we were playing catch, he would throw these different pitches, and he would say, all right, what, what was that, what was this? Um, and so we would work on pitch recognition even just while playing catch, not even just hitting. Um, and then after that, um, when we would go work on, uh, you know, toss or he would go throw to me, um, you know, we would work on staying over the plate. Um, and that was just something that, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, I, I guess, innately, but, you know, dad, dad worked on that with me. And so I just thought that's the way it was. You know, this is just what you do. You, you swing at balls over the plate. Right, that's that's the basis of it um, of baseball. Swinging swinging balls over the plate, leave everything else, and so we would work on that. And if I swing at a ball, he would tell me, um, and and then I would try and throw that into the memory banks, and and it was just repetition, repetition, repetition. And once we got the barn in the backyard, then I was able to just work on that, and and I would work go work on the tee, and then it gets to the point where almost you start swinging and if you feel your body getting out of position, mm -hmm. you know it's going to be a ball. Um, Interesting. And so it's one of those things where yeah, it starts to become like, you know, all right, I'm swinging at everything. Oh, I feel, you know, getting out. So I'm not going to swing at that. Um, and, you know, so it, it's, it's, again, a double-edged sword. You know, it's that pitch recognition, um, being able to, you know, go up there and, and have a plan and, um, and go after what you're trying to hit, um, but then secondly to listen to your body, and when it when it feels like you know oh I'm getting out of out of position, that's probably a ball you know to to listen to that reaction. So that all comes to you know the the finished product of trying to have a good strike zone and you use it all together, but and just a reaction at the plate. But um, we we've worked on that. Um, since I was really young, and then when I got into the Mets program is when it really got um, honed in because my first instructs I showed up, that's what they preached, was have a plan, and then when you go up there, you're looking for one zone. This is how, this is how you're going to you know, approach it, maybe even take half the plate. You know, and these were all things. They were like, just experiment with this. Go up there and only swing at pitches on the outside part of the plate. Go up there and only swing at pitches on the inside part of the plate. Go up there and only swing at a curveball. Go up there and only swing at a fastball. What, whatever it may be. And I didn't realize it at the point at that point because I wanted to try and put you know good numbers out there to try and you know show you know whatever that I belonged or you know whatever it may be. But at that point, I wish somebody would have told me, and they did. But I wish I would have listened. Just throw it out the window <laughs> and the results, and just go work on the process. Just go. Literally go try these things out and see what works for you best. And it did, it did work out, but it, to, to the point of where when we got to Instructs, um, they told us, all right, fine, you know, you're, you're still worrying about the results. You're just going to take until two strikes. And that way you're going to see a ton of pitches and you're going you're gonna to understand that strike zone better. Um, It'll force you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when I got in there, and I, I'm not gonna lie, I was not a fan of it <laughs> when when I got there, but I'm very thankful for it now. Um, it taught me, it taught me even more so at that speed of the game how to control the strike zone, what what really were strikes, um, how you could sometimes uh, lay off pitches um, and, and recognize pitches after seeing them, you know, once or twice and not swinging at them, um, but. It was really beneficial for me because the Mets just bought into that approach that I really, I had, my dad had had, had for me um, since like, growing up. But you, you weren't in the instructional league by yourself. I mean, you, no. there was a whole slew <laughs> yeah. of people that were getting this same message. Right. You know, why, why did it take with you as much as it did, and, and how much did your that your failures in the minor leagues kind of shape yeah. the major league player? For you've sure. Become? So I think I think it took with me a little bit more because because of my past with with my dad that it was. Um, kind of what we were going after. Um, 
was to swing at strikes and 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 you know for me balls uh, I guess based on balls you know walking was never a bad thing and and for some people uh, I remember some guys would get like upset when they would walk because they were like ah they didn't they didn't throw me anything and I'm like that's good because you're on base so so I looked at it with, with at a different you know different perspective so I think that's why it took with me is because that, that meant a successful at bat to me whether you get on base by a base hit or if you walk. Um, so, and then secondly, um, the failures in the minor leagues have definitely shaped you know, me as a major league baseball player. I, I would not be um, nearly able to handle the failures here because that, that's one of the things is um, they would tell us all the time that some people that get to the um, big leagues and, and never fail they they get there and you're inevitably going to fail at the big leagues at some point, um, and they wouldn't know how quite how to deal with it. Well, luckily I failed quite a few times <laughs> in the minor leagues, so I you know so I had things that I could go back to. Um, I have notes on hitting all the way back to probably 2013, maybe even 2012, 2011. That's when I kind of started doing that. You would um, take you would. Yeah, notes like notes, there. notes on my phone. There's hitting notes and there's there's notepads. I, I used to in 2013. I was so desperate <laughs> uh, that I was literally coming back after every at bat. I would write down the pitch and where they threw it, uh, and I and I have that uh, back at home. And I logged probably you know probably half the season um, of every at bat, where they threw it, what pitch to try and figure out how they were pitching me why I was getting out so much like what was it a strike you know that I swung at or was it a ball um, was I chasing you know those kind of things um, and so I tried out a lot of different things but I have notes going all the way back on on the failures and how how okay how did I got how I got out of this one how I got out of this one um, and then you know it, it, eventually you just kind of see that most of the time it's you kind of getting outside of your zone. It's you possibly swinging at borderline pitches, possibly just being pitched well for for a little stretch where you face some good pitchers. And and, and but a lot of the times we compound that by thinking that it's something that we're doing. Which don't get me wrong, there are some little mechanical things that go on that that you have to take care of throughout the game. But again, going back to that, homers are thrown; they're not hit. If you're not getting the pitches. Um, then, then you're not you're not going to get the hits right. either, and so um, we compound that by trying to change these things, and um, and then you end up having a longer slump than you than you might have before. So um, it's it's one of those things where I I definitely am thankful for the failures now. They were not easy to go through. Um, they're still not easy to go through, but they definitely help um, on these bigger stage now. Uh, if you had to go through these failures during on this stage now for the first time, it would be a much different feeling and experience than before. And I would imagine that going through those failures, just as any normal player, is, is tough. Yeah. But going through them when you're a first-round pick yeah. has to be a lot more difficult. Yeah. And you know, we talk all the time about your positive outlook, but just how tough was it going through the minor leagues, not always having success, yeah. Having that first round tag on yeah. you, and also knowing about the guy that was drafted immediately yeah. behind you and Jose Fernandez, yeah. and the fact that I mean, watching, I think it was 153 players from that draft yeah. made their major league de debut before you did. Yeah. How, how tough was all of that? So, you know, it, it was it was really tough. Um, I remember in Brooklyn, the for in 2012, I was hitting like 160 for the first month, and. Uh, I was just getting worn out by by the fans, and uh, you know they were just you know just cursing at me and saying you know why well, you know why did we draft you why did you know why did we give you so much money and I was thinking yeah I don't know you know like you know as, at that point you're like yeah I don't know either because I because I'm just you know I'm not I'm not very good right now that's the thing is. You know the fans are telling you, but you already know. You know when you're not doing well, and uh, and so it was. It was really tough to go through because not only was it just slumping, but like you said, you had that target on your back too because you, you had that first round um, status o over over your head. Which there's great things to come with that. I got. I don't think. You know. I don't know what 
position I would be in, I don't know if I'd be here if I was, you know, a 35th, 40, 40th round pick, you know, in there because I was given a lot of opportunities um, and I needed them. I needed to play a lot of games. I needed to face a lot of pitchers and, and have a lot of at-bats because I, I had a lot of things to hone in. Um, but, you know, as we can say from this point now, it was worth it. You know, they, they, they definitely saw something in there and, and, it, and it was worth it. But at that point, you're like, man, I don't know either because I'm supposed to step in here. I'm a first-rounder. I'm supposed to step in here and have success right, right. away. And that was my perspective is that, you know, they kind of, you know, there was a scout that came in, laid it out and said, you're going to be here for half a year, you're going to be here for half a year, you're going to be here for half a year, you're going to be here for half a year, then you're in the big leagues, right? And so it <laughs> yeah, was like, easy. it right? was like, yeah, you're going yeah, to be two years and you're in the big leagues, you know, 20 years old. And that is not how it worked out for me at all. And, you know, to have that kind of plan laid out and it was like, I'm way behind that, you know, it, it's, it's, it made it really tough. But my family was my biggest supporters through that, biggest cheerleaders. Um, my faith helped immensely with that. I would not be in this position without it. Um, but it was, it was, it was very tough um, having that, um, that first round, um, you know, pers- you know, title above your head. But again, and was Fernandez yeah. being drafted immediately behind you something an added layer? Like, is that something that you really thought about a lot when you would see? that level of success right I, away? I think what I thought about Fernandez is if people could have predicted that, he would have gone number one overall. That's, that's kind of that's what I thought. Um, because, you know, I, I knew that I should be doing better, mm-hmm. but I also knew that he was doing abnormally well. Like, he, he was amazing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right from the start. And I faced him right, right at the beginning, and it was different. <laughs> You know, yeah. and um, and so for me, him being drafted right after me, yeah, it came with a you know it came with a stigma that you know could have gone with him. But when people would ask me that, I'd say, well, there's 12 other teams that would have drafted him number one overall. Like, if if they would have known number one, this kid, this is what he's gonna do, mm-hmm. he would have gone first because he's gonna get there quick and, he, and he's gonna be successful, right? And but. That's the part about the draft is you're only given so much information and you make the best decisions with what you have. Um, and so I wasn't too concerned with, with Fernandez. But, you know, as the years went on, I mean, I knew that draft class was strong. And you just see guys that you were drafted with just one right after the other just making their, you know, debut, debut, debut. And you're like, and you're still in high A or double, you know, whatever. Um, that's, that is another place that I really had to learn how to focus on what I could control and try and not look around too much because we're all built differently. We're all given different talents, and we all you know, find those talents at different times. Um, and that was one thing that I had to, really, you know, had to really understand and really become okay with was I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to control what I can control. I'm going to put the effort out there. And if I don't make it, it's not going to be because I didn't work hard enough. It's not because I didn't put the preparation in. It's because I didn't make the sacrifices. And so that was the biggest thing for me is I was going to try and take care of all my P's and Q's and then let the rest take care of itself. But it was something that had to be learned. It wasn't, it wasn't an innate um, you know, thought of mine. Um, so was, there, was there a time where you thought to yourself, you know, this might not work. I yeah. might not make it to the major leagues. Yeah. What was the hardest moment or the toughest thing that you can look back on and say, this, this almost got me out? I, say, I, I think the, the one that I look at the most is, like, when, just when you bring that, the first thing that comes up to mind was the, pretty much like the first time it happened was, was Brooklyn. Um, again, like I said, I was for the first month hitting like 160. And uh, it was later that month. It was in uh, like middle to end of July. I think I have I have the I have it written down somewhere um, because it was that big of an impact on me. Um, it I was hitting like again like under 200, um, and I was pretty much thinking, okay, this this might not work out. Like they. They, they must have missed on me, you know, because 
what I'm doing just isn't working and I'm put I'm trying to put in the hard work and everything and, and I remember I had just um, this was a big moment in my life for faith as well because I had kind of said okay God if, if you know if you're not going to get this done for me I was l- looking at it from a very selfish standpoint if you're not going to get this done for me I'll get it done myself and I had just kind of like thrown God to the side and I had just was so focused on me and myself and I remember getting to a breaking point where I was just I was just broken I was on, I was on my knees I had I had worked I tried to work as hard as I could I the lifestyle was getting to me I you know hadn't seen family you know it was it was just all I had just gotten to a breaking point I was struggling everywhere I went people were you know questioning what the heck did people see in you um, and I was in Mahoney Valley and I called my parents and just you know kind of broke down to them and just said like I don't I don't I don't know if this is gonna work I don't know if I'm gonna make it you know I'm a failure these kind of things and uh, and they just they lifted me up and they pointed me back to my faith back to back to God and they said um, you know you need to really have some alone time you need to come back come back and and come to God and I and I did I remember that night I prayed a long prayer and at the end it basically you know it was just me talking and just pouring out my feelings and it was at the end it was basically you know God I know you I know you've got my life in your hands and I know I've been absent for a little bit but I'm coming back and and I just want to say if you want me to make it then I'm going to make it and if you don't then I'm I'm not, and that's going to be okay, and I'm going to go do, and it's going to I'm going to go help somewhere else. There's there's a going to be purpose to my life still, and uh, I remember the next day I was a triple shy of the cycle, and uh, it was almost like this huge weight had just been lifted off me, and I and I just um, not to say that that yeah, and not to like go out there and say like hey if you're in a rough place rough you know rough place in your life and you just break down and come to God and say, you know, this prayer that all, all your troubles are going to go away. That's not it at all. But a lot of times I've, I've felt like God has spoke through, to me through baseball. Um, and he does. He uses things that are very dear to us to speak to us um, because that gets our attention the, the, um, the best. And I just remember that, that, that moment it was such an impact in my life um, because it was kind of just like, okay, like, big weight lifted off and it was just like it's going to be okay either way whichever way it goes and I'm and again it went back to that's where I got the okay I'm just going to control what I can control I'm not going to look around to the sides anymore I'm going to try and work as hard as I can and and all those things and control what I can control um, and let it all just kind of go go off to the you know the rest of it just just be it be its own thing and uh I ended up I ended up getting to 280 at the you know and then and then had a little bit of a slump in the year and I think I ended at like 250 but that was a far cry from where I was and uh, and there was that was a huge point in my career um, in my life I think big fork in the road there um, not to say that there weren't other trials along the way there were other things I had to learn along the way even the next year in Savannah you know there was there were struggles. Um, in Binghamton, the, ne- the year after that, there so there's been struggles every year, um, but that point in my life was was one that I think was was the biggest fork and crossroads. Brandon, you've been so generous with your time, and, and we'll let you go in a second here. I know no, you've got no, some work yeah, to no, do, but um, just have a couple more. We want to get to a fan question. We yeah. want to um, talk to you about one other thing, but before we do, you've been so open about the journey and, yeah. and just how difficult it was for you. Yeah. So. Now that people have kind of a perspective on that, give us a little bit of a perspective as to what that moment was then on June 26, 2016, yeah. when you make your Major League debut. Yeah. Uh, not just get that call, but step out onto that field. And, you know, your, your parents were in attendance. I yeah. remember speaking to them that day. What, what stands out to you about that moment, given all that you went through? You know, I, the first thing that comes to mind is I, I always thought of when I watched the movie The Rookie, when he calls his wife and he says, hey, I need you to bring a sports coat to Arlington, 
And she's like, why? And then he goes, yeah, I guess there's a dress code in the big leagues. And, you know, they, they all, you know, start going crazy. And I always thought of that moment. I thought, man, I want to make that phone call so badly to my parents. Um, and so on that night, I was in Reno. And, and when I found out I was letting known that I was going to the big leagues, um, I called them. I called my parents and I said, hey, you know, um, I need you guys to find a flight to Atlanta tonight uh, for, for the morning. And they said, Atlanta? What? Oh my gosh! And I said, and I said, yeah. I said, I, I'm going to the big leagues. I need you guys to be there. And they were just so happy. My parents, they'd been there through it all. Um, biggest cheerleaders. I mean, they 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 lived and died, you know, with me. That my mom, especially, she she feels every pain that I feel. Um, and my dad was just so so elated, um, so proud, so excited, and. Uh, and so to be able to make that phone call to them was, first of all, what one dream come true. And then for them to come to, to Atlanta and for me to play in the big leagues, obviously another huge, you know, huge childhood dream come true. But I just remember coming out um, for the day game because the night game uh, was great. I got there um, and, you know. The night before. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, to, yeah, I got to see the family and everything. But they told me, hey. You know, you're not gonna. You're just gonna rest t today, and then you'll play tomorrow. And so I came out for the Sunday day game, and I didn't sleep hardly at all <laughs> that that night. And I just came out, and I, you know, I saw I saw my parents, um, I saw my dad in the stands, and I was on the field. And he came, you know, he came running down, and uh, you know, I just I just grabbed him, and I and I hugged him, and I said, uh, I just said, we made it. You know, we fi we finally made it. You know, through those times, and, and that's that's when those times like Brooklyn, uh, when you were struggling, when you didn't, you know, you didn't think that you were gonna make it, uh, and and you know, your parents, you know, encouraged you through it. Um, times in you know in Las Vegas, when I had a heart to heart with my now wife about I don't know if this is gonna work out, even being that close, even AAA, and I said, you know, I don't. I don't know if this is going to work out, um, and for her to be able to, you know, to be there and, and support me and, and see that through, um, give me the encouraging words. But that's what that's what you go back to is, again, it goes back to that journey of enjoying like all the little things along the way. That getting to the end of where you know when I made it to the major leagues was great, but it wouldn't have meant nearly as much if all these struggles and all these little things and all these grinds throughout throughout the minor leagues hadn't have happened and we hadn't have persevered through it, um, it wouldn't have meant nearly as much. And and so that's what my mind was going back to is, man, remember remember this day when, you know, when things were terrible and we thought it wasn't gonna work out. Remember this day when, you know, when you had to encourage me because, you know, I was down and Remember this day when I was, you know, missing family and I wasn't sure that I was doing the right thing and all, you know, and just remember all, all these times and we persevered through it and, and it was we because I wouldn't have made it without the supporting cast around me, without family and friends and with even without, you know, my brother who had to be the guinea pig for, um, for a Wyoming kid, you know, playing baseball. Um, he was first guy D1 and then, you know, had to tell us this is how other guys do pro ball this, and this is what you need to be good at and this is, and all those things that had to come into play and then they all come to this one moment where you accomplish a childhood dream where you get to enjoy it with family and friends. Um, you know, it was, it was incredible and that just embracing my dad and saying, we made it, not not I made it. We we made it. That was just that culmination of of a, a dream that had been going on for for you know 18, 19 years. You know, ever since I was probably three, four years old, and uh, I'll, I'll never never forget that day. Um, and then they got to come to New York and watch first home run, first walk, first RBI, first hit by pitch, which I seem to do a lot now. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. 
Uh, That's the big one. First where, pitch, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep the ball. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's been incredible that they've been able to be a part of that. But it's it's the journey along the way that makes those moments special. It's the grind. It's going getting through those moments when you didn't you know you weren't sure that, that it was going to work out um that's what that's what makes that that day those moments special and um you know it'll 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 always be so special to me it'll always bring back such a flutter of, of emotions and, and and memories and uh i just i just yeah i look back on it and I smile because it's 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 still surreal well, we've covered a lot of heavy stuff, so we'll end with yeah. a couple of lighthearted notes. All right, here. and you mentioned the smile, so maybe yes. we'll lead off the <laughs> fan our, our question. Fan question. <laughs> Allie D on Twitter, she uh, says you've got the best smile in baseball. Hard to argue. <laughs> Thanks, Allie. What's your oral health regimen? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Well, you know, um, he'll love this. Do like Dr. Jacobus, uh, he's the orthodontist <laughs> in, uh, in, uh, in Fort St. Lucie. Uh, believe it or not, man, I had uh, I I've, I could bring up some pictures. I had some crooked teeth and whatnot. Uh, I don't buy it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know I still don't have the prettiest smile, but it's way better than it was um, back in 2014. I think is when I started them, uh, and I did those did those Invisalign whatever. So thanks to Dr. <laughs> J for for straightening my uh, my teeth out and. Uh, that it was so funny because when he started it too, he knew that I played for the Mets. But I was in high A at that time, and he's like, "All right, these will be just these will be done just in time for you to have your you know New York media smile." <laughs> and it's funny now that it is like it, it ended up being the way that it was because uh, who would have known at that time that you could have you know it, it actually would have ended up being like a calling card of mine, but. Uh, no, just brush your teeth twice a day and uh, floss. And, I was going to say floss and, is the big one, right? Yeah, and yep. and you know Listerine mouthwash at night. <laughs> that's that's my that's my you're oral a lot of plugs into this answer right yeah, here. Right. Listerine. There you go. Dr. Yeah, Nicole. yeah, exactly. What I got? Crest, Crest three D white. There you go. <laughs> Throw another sponsor in there, right? So, <laughs> any, I mean, yeah. No, that's it's. Uh, you know, I it's one of those things where um, my. I was not good at taking care of my teeth uh, when I was younger. I was one of those kids that was, you know, eh, brushing your teeth, and mom had to force me and all that <laughs> stuff. And uh, and now, thank goodness, mom forced me to do as much as I did then because it still, you know, it still wasn't enough. Um, but you know, now it's now it's it's become much more of a priority because you start to realize as you get older that these decisions have an impact for the rest of your life. <laughs> and you're like, I only get this pair of teeth for this set of teeth for my life. So these got to last me a long time. Yeah, and and, your, uh, your job, you need, you're it, showing them off. Yeah, exactly. Bit. You got a lot of care. You can't really hide that. That run around the bases after a home run wouldn't look yeah. the same. No, yeah, <laughs> with just with no teeth, just gumming it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the last uh, thing here. Um, and we are going to do this with everybody. Okay. And you're such a nice guy, you might not have one. But okay. We're talking we're, with a lot of yeah, ex-Mets. A lot of ex-Mets who, so. have, who have good Jay Harwood stories. Oh, okay? okay. Any good Jay Harwood story that you have? Jay, man. Uniquely Jay. <laughs> you know, just, I love Jay. I love him. But the, the best, I guess the best Jay Horwitz stories that, that I can get is I always die laughing when I when I walk by there when I first get to the field and he is reading the newspaper and it is right <laughs> here. I mean, I am serious that it is two inches, maybe, maybe an inch from his face, where he is just like <laughs> going across the newspaper. For those listening and not watching, as you can see, Brandon, yeah. is, so you can actually see him it, moving his, yeah, his he, face. He will across move the... his face across that newspaper. <laughs> and it and it is literally his nose is touching the paper. And I and I, I just die laughing every time. Because it's not I mean, I feel bad, but it's it's like if you knew Jay, he'd laugh at it too, you know, when he when he's looking at it. But he's such a great guy. Uh, that's 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 something I'll always remember Jay for is that if he's reading something, his nose is literally <laughs> on it. And, and, so. and trust us, given some of the people that we've 
talk to about doing these yeah, interviews. That's a that's a very right? entertaining <laughs> Jay Harwood. I've right. heard I've heard of some bad stuff that they did to him. <laughs> but uh, well, you'll have to subscribe ex- to the podcast exactly. and listen to some of those. Exactly. <laughs> no, for us it's been it's been very uh, a lot more tame. I think yeah. I think so. But it's it's yeah. That's something I'll always remember with uh, Jay. Brandon, we could talk to you for hours. This has been so great. We really thanks, appreciate Steve. you doing this. Appreciate right? it. Thanks, thanks so much. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, good, good debut thanks, episode. All yeah, right, that is great. Brandon Nimmo. Thanks. That's it. Thanks for having me on. That guy was just amazing. Absolutely incredible. He's a wonderful guy. I don't know if anybody's ever said that before, but he really <laughs> opened up to us, and uh, I feel like we got to know Brandon very well there. Yeah. He. Uh, you know, the, the amazing thing is we finally got him to smile. Yeah, no, that was good. He's so and, and we learned how his smile got to be we, where it is. <laughs> did you expect, I did not expect that in-depth of an answer about Brandon Nimmo's smile. What, what was your favorite part of that interview? Um, you know, I really liked when he said gumming it after his, uh, <laughs> after his teethless run around the bases. No, I think it was just fun to hear how, uh, I don't know if it was fun's the right word, but just interesting to hear how many times he really felt like this wasn't going to work out for him in his career. I mean, that really stands out with me that he was plugging along in the minor leagues. I did a lot of seasons broadcasting in the minor leagues, and I get that just from my own standpoint and from all the guys. I did. shot to the majors. You did. You you went right there. (laughs) Um, But a lot of guys who were in the minors with me who struggled in that same way and who some guys who didn't make it and some who did. Um, So it's interesting to hear that, that tale be told by a guy who's made it and, and done well for himself. Yeah, I completely agree. That that was the most fascinating part. And I love the way that he told the story about it all culminating with that Major League debut in Atlanta and mm-hmm. how he went up to his dad and said, we made it. You know, we, yeah, ma- we, we. made it. Not I made it. We made it. Uh, because, you know, none of these guys get to where they are without having a lot of people support them along the way. And it's clear in listening to Brandon Nimmo during that interview, but talking to him, for the last couple of years that his parents really kept him on on the right path and and kept him moving forward when things clearly could have uh, could have been done he could have just decided to call it quits because it wasn't happening for him and Steve moving forward is what we will do next week who's gonna be round on the two bro- on the podcast of rain delay theater the podcast with Wilmer Flores the walk-off king himself a quick preview of that just gonna say this we already taped that interview with Wilmer Flores we asked him to try and name all 10 of his walk-offs. We quizzed him. Not going to tell you how many he was able to get right, yeah. but think about that. You think can tweet to us, at yeah. Wayne Randazzo, at Steve How Gales. many do you think how Wilmer got right? How many do you think right? Wilmer Flores got correct? That mm. is what we call a tease, and that is coming <laughs> next week. It's going to be, I will say one thing, one last thing. Yeah. And we said current Mets, former Mets. I know a lot of Mets fans don't want to hear this, but there is – an opportunity, I shouldn't say an opportunity, a chance that when that Wilmer Flores Mm. interview airs, it could be a former man. There's a chance he could get traded at the trade deadline. I don't think many fans would be smiling like Brandon Nimmo at that news. They'd love this guy. It'd be the other way. The tears would come back, I think, from Mets Not tears of joy, tears of the other thing. All right, he is Wayne Randazzo. I'm Steve Gelbs. A successful, we're going to say that right off the bat. We did it. Successful debut of Rain Delay Theater is in the books. We will see you guys next week.